guys. Welcome back to the Smitty and D Show. Of course, I am Tony D. And in the studio right now, guys, we have a new, I would like to call, studio expert friend. I may actually have to invite him back because you guys know we love to learn and we love to teach. But I'm going to going to tell you who we actually have here. Uh, it's going to be, uh, I like to call an African-American historic expert, Talani from Apex Museum here in Atlanta. Welcome to the studio. How Thank are you? you? I am well. How are you? I got to do the... <laughs> I, I feel so excited that you're here. So am I. Yes. I am. So let's start at the beginning. Talk to us about our history. One of the things that, uh, one of the misconceptions that people have about history uh -huh. is that it's just a compilation of stories that, and sometimes they don't relate to one another. Mm -hmm. The historian gets to decide where the story starts, right? Mm -hmm. So that's a huge, that's a huge thing. Mm -hmm. And we, as African descendants, have handed over our stories to an education system that really doesn't care about our stories. Mm. So it doesn't care, and I would go on to say that it actually doesn't care about us, mm -hmm. but it doesn't care about our stories. Mm -hmm. So what we get out of the system is we, we actually do get a compilation of romantic stories that are designed to tell us who white people are, Ooh. but not who we are. And they're actually not telling us the truth about who white people are either. Wow. So, so the challenge is figuring out how do, we, how do we take control of our stories so that our young people, so that our children can get a clear picture of who they are, because that's what history is for. Mm -hmm. um, when you go to a, a history class, you go to American history, the reason for the history is you're a part of a country, you're a part of a community, and the history class is there to tell you who you are mm. and what role you play within that community or within that country. Mm -hmm. The problem for us is that we have an education system that is not getting it right. Mm. Wow, got it. All right, so what's the most important thing that African Americans need to know about their history. Where the story starts is the most important thing. Um, I'll go back to America again. Mm -hmm. we, we learn in school that America's story starts in 1776. Nicole Hannah-Jones, who was a professor at, uh, I think she was at uh, University of North Carolina. She left there, and I'm not sure where she teaches at now, but she wrote the 1619 Project. Mm -hmm. And her purpose in writing that book was she wanted to help America realize that your story started at the wrong place. Your story, your origin story, actually started in 1619. Mm -hmm. So. Her purpose was, was in saying to America, you started the story at the wrong place. Mm -hmm. I'm going to tell you where the story actually starts. Mm. For us as African descendants, what we need to recognize is that our story didn't even start there. Mm. So America's story started in 1619, but the story for us did not start, our story doesn't start where slavery began. Right. So for us as African descendants living in the United States, what we, most of what we learn is that our story started when our ancestors arrived here as hostages. Nobody's story starts with hostages. Okay, so what, what else do we kind of need to know as far as our history? 
<laughs> I think it's important for us to know also that we need to talk, when we speak about things like, um, like slavery, and when we speak about things like, uh, when we speak about Africa, we need to recognize that for all of us who are African descendants, all of us who are part of the diaspora, our story did not start with slavery, but it started, it started, it starts in Africa. So, so the challenge for us is, is actually buying that because as African-Americans, we've been nurtured to believe that we've been severed from Africa. We've been disconnected from Africa. When I was a child, um, if you wanted to get into a fight, if you wanted to go straight to the fight, mm -hmm. all you had to do was call somebody an African. That is so true, and add booty scratcher to it too. Right. Yeah. Right. Seriously. And, and and listen, and don't don't put the B word in there, because if you call somebody an old black African, mm -hmm. boom, mm -hmm. the story. I mean, the fight starts right then. Yeah. Uh, all the other talk was just talk, but the fight starts at the point where you call somebody an old black African, mm -hmm. um, because of what we've been trained to believe about what it means to be African. Yeah. So. So the education system just did a great job of, of literally severing us from what it means to be African. What that means is that for African Americans, we are the only people on the entire planet who's trying to create a positive identity out of 400 years of bad history. Nobody else on the planet is doing that. Everybody else knows who they are. Every Chinese American knows who they are, even if they were born in the United States. The fact that they're Chinese connects them to thousands of years of culture and history. Mm. Every other people group on the planet connects themselves to thousands of years of culture and history. And what the education system has trained us to believe is that we don't have that. That our history just started when our ancestors arrived here as hostages. And I use the word hostage very deliberately mm -hmm. because that's what they were. You know, and the word slavery kind of makes it, it doesn't romanticize it, but we use that word so much, I don't think we get a clear picture of what was actually happening to our ancestors. Mm. Let's talk about our culture, in fact. When did we become black or African-American? That is the right question, and I love it. Um, when our ancestors were, when their homes were invaded and they were taken hostage, our ancestors were Yoruba, and they were Igbo, and they were Ashanti, and they were Zulu. So when, when, when somebody snatches you from your village and you're Zulu when you were taken from your village, and then they take you to a place, where they take you to uh, what's now Ghana, you know the kingdom of Ghana and they take and they put you in a dungeon they begin the process of taking away your your identity your cultural identity so so when you left your village you were Zulu you left your village you were Yoruba by the time you get to Ghana the colonizer has decided that you are now Toby and people who ever people who watch the, the the movie Roots, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. When when Kunta Kinte was insisting that he is Kunta Kinte, mm -hmm. and and the and the and the slaver wanted to wanted to change his identity and and make him admit or make him internalize or accept the identity of Toby. Mm -hmm. So 
that happened to our ancestors. You left your village, you were Yoruba, you were Zulu. By the time you get to Ghana, you're now whoever the, whoever the colonizer says you are. Mm -hmm. By the time they put you onto a cargo ship, because it was a cargo ship, because there was no such thing as a slave ship. Mm -hmm. It was a cargo ship, mm -hmm. because our ancestors were cargo, mm -hmm. simply black cargo. And so by the time you get onto a cargo ship, you are simply cargo negro. All of that identity was taken from you. So all of the cultural pieces that you learned and knew about being Ashante or about being Zulu or about being Yoruba, mm -hmm. all of that that's in your cultural DNA, it, it is literally beaten out of you. Wow. By the time you get here, you have, you have become black. You are no longer Yoruba. You have become black. But you never stopped being African. That's the piece. That's the piece that we have to get back to, understanding that that if my ancestors from 600 years ago mm -hmm. were able to stand in front of me right now and ask me who I was, mm -hmm. and I told them that I'm a proud black man, they would look at me for the rest. Mm. Well, what's the rest? What's the rest of that? What's your tribal identity? You know. Who are you? Mm -hmm. Because being, to them, the idea of being black is meaningless. When did we become African American? When, when we arrived here, well, America started in, 16, in 1619. Yeah. Officially, you know, with the uh, Declaration of Independence and all of that, it actually became a thing in 1776. So America was born in 1776, and we were already here. but. We were here before America was born, uh, right. uh, and we were here before we were here before 1619. But that's a whole other story. Mm -hmm. But um, so when America, when the colonies became America, we became African American. We became Africans in America. Hmm. So that's the piece that we are not getting. It's not just African American, but it's Africans in America. Wow. So can I give you the definition yes. of colonialism? Yes, Listen, please. colonialism is a process. It's a process of aggression by a country, right, against a people that takes land, exploits resources, including the indigenous people of the land, which was us, mm -hmm. um, and destroys indigenous culture, mm -hmm. which again, they Tobyized us. So it, it destroys indigenous culture and then requires that the culture of the colonizer be accepted as the standard, which is why we are speaking English right now. Hmm. Because the culture, you, you know, colonialism demanded that the culture of the colonizer be accepted as the standard. So um, we became African Americans when America became America. Um, we became Africans in America when we when our ancestors arrived here as hostages. We were Zulu, we became we were Zulus in America. We were Yoruba in America. We were Igbo in America. Mm -hmm. But that's the part we forgot about, because the edu the the process of colonialism literally beat that out of us mm. over generations, one generation after another, for a few centuries. As our ancestors were removed from Africa. Africa was removed from us. Hmm. Did that make sense? Yeah, it does. But I have another question. When did white people become white? I love that question <laughs> also, because white people don't realize 
how colonialism has impacted them also. Because one of the questions that I very often ask people when I'm doing tours at the Apex Museum or even when I'm doing the anti-racism workshops with Roots of Justice, I will ask people, in 1492 when Columbus arrived here, um, uh, when 1492, how many black people were there in Africa? In 1492, how many white people were there on the continent of Europe? 1492, how many Hispanics were on this continent? And in 1492, when Columbus arrived, how many Indians were here when he encountered them? The, and the answer is zero. There were zero Indians here because this is not India, regardless of what Columbus thought. This ain't India. So there were zero Indians here. There were zero Hispanics here in 1492 because the identity of Hispanic did not yet exist. So there were no Hispanics, Latinos, Latinx. The identity did not exist. There were zero black people on the continent of Europe in 1492 because that identity did not yet exist. And there were zero white people on the continent of Europe in 1492 because the identity of white did not yet exist. All of those identities are the invention of colonialism. All of them. Wow. White, black, Hispanic, uh, all of those identities are made up identities in the service of the colonizer. What white people don't realize is they've never taken the opportunity to grieve the loss of their cultural distinctiveness. So their ancestors sold them out for the privilege of becoming white. Wow. When in um, 1676, 100 years before the signing of the Declaration of Independence, there was a, there was a rebellion. It was called Bacon's Rebellion. Mm -hmm. And after Bacon's Rebellion, Bacon was a white guy. Um, and it was, and he, he, he gathered together with a number of, of African descendants. Mm -hmm. So they had, a, they had a rebellion in Jamestown, Virginia, and it was successful. They overthrew the colony of Jamestown, Virginia. And then when, when, the, when the British sent some reinforcements in, they came back, they overtook Bacon, and, and um, what, the, what, the, what the planters realized was they did not want poor black people and poor white people working together ever again. So they invented the identity of white and they said in their documents, land may be owned by white men only. So at one point when the white guy recognized that we had more in common than he had with the rich landowner, now he has more in common with the rich landowner than he does with me because at least he has the privilege of possibly becoming a landowner. I do not. So, so that was their way, it's called divide and rule. Mm -hmm. That was their way of dividing the working class from each other. And so now we're living in this, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Mm -hmm. So we were, we were permanently divided, white people and, and people of color, where what they handed to white people was the illusion of superiority, right? right? So that's what they got. Mm -hmm. you, sold your, you sold your identity as French or British or Polish, you mm -hmm. sold that identity for the identity of white, mm -hmm. and then what you got for that was the illusion of superiority, which is one of the reasons why, which is one of the reasons why it is so difficult to dislodge white people from Trump. Wow. Because Trump provides for them, he continues to provide for them the illusion of superiority. And when, you, when they realize that that's all that they have, 
they don't really have any more than you or I, but what they have that sets them apart is the illusion of superiority. They will fight tooth and nail to hold on to that. That's kind of what January 6th was about. That's what we, that's what we observed. That's what Charlottesville was about. Mm-hmm. White guys walking around with tiki torches, mm-hmm. yelling about not being replaced. You will not replace us. Jews will not replace us. And, and so what we saw was uh, an example of white male fear. That's what we saw at Charlottesville, mm-hmm. and that's what we saw on January 6th. Let's talk about uh, the process of slavery um, and the, uh, is it the North Atlantic slave trade or, or something like that? What was the process? Can you, can you describe to us what a African would go through over, let's say, 400 or 300 years? From going from Africa to even maybe going to Jamaica to be trained to be a slave, and then possibly, you know, being picked out to yeah. come to America. The one of the other things that African Americans should know is that we were not the first slaves on this continent. Mm-hmm. It actually was the indigenous people. Yeah. And when the Spaniards, when the Spaniards did their business and and basically almost decimated all of the indigenous people, it became they began using more. They began using more Africans. But when our ancestors, once our ancestors were snatched from their homes and taken to Ghana and put on a ship, that's the, the process of taking away your cultural distinctiveness. That's already happening. You have now no longer Igbo. Now you've become black. So now you wind up in places like you wind up in places like Hispaniola, or you, uh, Haiti, mm-hmm. right? You wind up in places like um, uh, other places in the Caribbean. Mm-hmm. And you are literally, again, you're literally being trained to be, to be a hostage, to be a hostage worker, a forced worker. So you are, uh, you're given barely enough food mm-hmm. to survive, mm-hmm. right? And, and there are so many of you and you're so plentiful that it's easier for them to work you to death. That's how this first started out. Wow. I mean, it was literally easier for them to work you to death mm-hmm. and then replace you with somebody else. So then they got the idea that, well, maybe we ought to maybe we ought to do a little bit better because what we've seen with the indigenous people is that the supply of indigenous people is not limitless. So we don't want to do to the Africans what we did to the indigenous people. So we actually have to start taking care of them. Mm. So that's when that began to be more. Uh, at least feed you enough so to keep you alive and get you to a ripe old age so that you can continue to work because it is all about it is all about profit at that point mm-hmm. so so then we we move to the Americas we move uh, deeper into the Americas and it becomes it beca- as the generations pass it becomes easier to Tobyize us. Mm-hmm. Um, I just made up that word. We love it. Uh, it, it, became, it became easier to Tobyize us when, as the generations passed because they had control over the story. The victor. They, had they get con- to write the story. They get to, they, get to, they get to write the story. They get to decide where the story starts. And all history, as I said in the beginning, mm-hmm. All history is about telling you who you are. So now master gets to gets to tell you who you are. Your ancestors who would have told you stories about Africa, mm-hmm. those stories are beginning to disappear, right? Because we are no longer, we're no longer um, 
uh, as, as African descendants, we're no longer doing oral history, not even in our own families. So there's no griots. There's no griots. So my next question, <laughs> this might be a little controversial, how did religion play into slavery? Oh. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> that's the best question. That's the best question because too often, too often religion takes itself out of the conversation to pretend that Christianity was complicit or complacent with white supremacist ideology, but Christianity is actually responsible for white supremacist ideology. How do you say that, Conrad? Yeah, Look, explain. In, in, in 1095, there was a guy named Urban. He was a pope, right? And he came up with a, uh, he gave a speech because he was trying to start the Crusades. The Crusades started in 1096. But this is 1095, it's the year before, mm -hmm. right? And they want to drive out the Ottomans from the, from the Holy Land and all of that. Mm -hmm. and, and what he said to the, to the monarchs of Europe was, I'm giving you a process called terra nullius. Any piece of land that you, which in Latin means empty land, mm -hmm. any piece of land that you come across that is not already ruled by Christians, you can nullify the existence of the people there. And then if you could pretend that the people aren't there, then that means that you discovered it. Wow. Right? So, so terra nullius was the process. So that was 1095. Then in 1453, the next pope, another pope, because it's a few hundred years later, he took it a step further and he said, I'm going to give you permission to vanquish, subdue, capture, and subjugate all pagans and enemies of Christ and to render their persons to perpetual slavery. Right? So that was the church. So when you were in school and you asked your teacher if there were if there were people here when Columbus arrived, mm -hmm. how come we're saying that he discovered it? Right. Well, what you what your teacher either didn't know or wasn't allowed to tell you was about the doctrine of discovery. Because when Columbus got here, he understood that whole doctrine of discovery and he understood the mm -hmm. doctrine of terra nullius. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't matter how in many indigenous people I see before me, the church has already told me that I can nullify their existence because they're not Catholic. So that means that I discovered it. So the fact that they still use the word discover in school is, is basically giving tacit approval still to the Catholic Church for a doctrine they came out with in the 15th century, you know, that literally nullified the existence of, of anybody who wasn't Catholic. There's an indigenous author named, named Newcomb, Steve Newcomb, and he says that with that document, the Catholic Church literally declared war on the rest of the world, mm -hmm. on, the, on the entire non-Catholic world. Mm -hmm. so, so, I said, I, lay, I said all of that to lay the framework for white supremacist ideology because it started as religious superiority, but it started in Europe. And, it, and so religious superiority was the embryo of white supremacy. It, so now this goes back to where the story starts. Too often when we think about white supremacy, we want to start the story in the Deep South, but that's the wrong place to start the story because the story starts with the church mm -hmm. back in back in the 11th century. Wow. So coming to I guess uh, today's time with religion and and why well I guess the biggest question is why are there so many African Americans 
that are now Christian? Wow. Yeah, that's another good question. <laughs> one of the things that our one of the things that our people began to do when they were able to read the Bible for themselves, they began to understand that all of that, all of that that y'all are doing, and all of that that y'all been telling us, that's not that's not the Bible. That's not God. Mm -hmm. That's not Jesus. Mm -hmm. um, so they they. Our, our people literally began to understand that the Christianity mm -hmm. that the that the so-called slave master was was imposing on us was absolutely not the Christianity of the Bible. Mm -hmm. um, um, Bishop Desmond Tutu actually made an observation about that that the Bible itself is a is a is a book of liberation. It's a liberating book. Mm -hmm. um, it is not a it's not a slave master book. But one of the ways that they kept us ignorant was they actually invented a slave bible where they took out where they took out all of the powerful pieces what yeah, yeah. there was actually they, they actually published a slave bible and um, and they took out much of the stuff that would make slaves want to rebel exactly and fight for rights exactly wow yeah fascinating hmm yeah. interesting very very interesting Okay, so we, uh, we've got some stuff going on right now in social media. Oh. Let's talk about women, African-American women's contribution to our culture. Oh my God. As a, as a, as a people, as, a, as African descendants, we would not be where we are today at all without the legacy of strong black women Right, we just would not be where we are. Um, we, there, there, and that legacy actually goes back to Africa. See, our women are channeling strong black women from Africa. There were, there was a, there was a tradition among the Zulu people where, where all the young guys are getting ready for war. You know, because as young guys do, they just want to fight. All the young guys are getting ready for war, and it's going to be a war, and the men are beefing up for war. And the women, the women actually got to say whether a war was going to happen. Hmm. They would go to the edge of the village, and they would spread their skirts out. Uh, they would literally spread their skirts out at the entrance of the village, meaning y'all ain't going nowhere. Oh, wow. Y'all are not going anywhere. Um, war is not going to happen because we're not sanctioning. It's not going to happen. Um, so, so the legacy of powerful black women followed women here, mm -hmm. whether they knew it or not, because it, I think it's a part of not just a part of our cultural DNA, but it's actually, I think it's a part of our actual genetic makeup, mm -hmm. right? Um, so, uh, uh, and, and, and I'm not speaking simply of women like Rosa Parks, mm -hmm. but many of the unsung heroes, the, un, the unsung women, uh, the unnamed women, uh, the unnamed um, African-American women who, who, um, who, uh, who made sure that soldiers uh, during the Civil War, who made, even before black men were even allowed to fight, our women were in the mix, mm -hmm. making sure that, uh, uh, that, uh, that people were, uh, that wounds were, mm -hmm. um, were taken care of, and all, all that kind of stuff, making sure that, making sure that, um, making sure that people ate well. Mm -hmm. And taking leadership roles even before African-American men were even allowed to fight. There were some women who had ex actually escaped from slavery, mm -hmm. like Harriet Tubman, mm -hmm. and actually were able to, and actually were able to guide mm -hmm. uh, Union troops 
to uh, to southern positions and telling the best ways to do certain battles. Um, so um, we have a long, long, long history of strong black women. Mm -hmm. And this is not just black women, every culture has this. Yeah. Yeah, every culture has this, especially cultures that have lived with the kind of oppression that we have. And so what, it, what makes me sad about where we are right now as a culture is this, I hear a lot of, the, I, I'm 70 years old, yeah. so I don't spend a lot of time on social media, yeah. but I hear a lot of stuff. Mm -hmm. So I'm hearing about a lot of this stuff between, uh, between men and women, you know, uh, African-American men and women, mm -hmm. and it makes me sad um, mm. because... I've yeah. got questions about that. What can you say to help bridge that gap between African-American men and African-American women? African-American men are saying, oh, women are too strong, they're too independent, they're too negative, they're too this, they're too that. And, and African-American women are saying, you guys are too soft, you're not handling your business. If, if you did your job, we wouldn't be this way. What can you say to help bridge that gap? There's, there is something about Western white culture that has uh, that ha that our that our men have internalized, right? Because the idea of the idea of subjugating women is is not is not the part is is not part of many people of color cultures. It's just not. So the idea, the, the very idea of subjugating women is something that we've internalized from white culture. So. So learn that, brothers. Learn that. Learn that. Uh, because, and one of the reasons why you have to learn that is because to not learn that is we're continuing the process of divide and rule. Mm -hmm. Remember I went back to 1676 and I talked about how white people did that thing where mm -hmm. divide and rule. Mm -hmm. So we give these white people some crumbs and that puts, them, that puts them on the side. So now we got white men on the side of rich white guys rather than being on the side of people who, so that plays out in every area of society. So there's dividing rule between us, there's a gender dividing rule, there's dividing rule between us that plays out in colorism. Mm -hmm. You know, you so black, blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. We don't like the light-skinned ones. Mm -hmm. All, um, there's colorism that plays out between us and other targets of oppression. Like, we don't know what the indigenous people go through. Yeah. We, we stay in our own camp yeah. because it's divide and rule, yeah. right? We don't know what the uh, Asian people go through. Mm -hmm. We don't, we don't know who their heroes are. We don't know what their struggles are. And we don't seek to know mm -hmm. because, because white people have taught us to stay in our own, to stay in our own camp and, and deal with our own oppression, even when all of these groups have the exact same oppressor. You see? So black men and black women, we have the exact same oppressor. So all that hubbub about they to this and they to that, y'all need to stop that shit. Right, that's, that's insane. So what I heard you say, to put it in layman's terms, is that the ideology of what's going on right now where you have black men who are saying, I want a housewife. I want this wife to be submissive to me, to submit to me. You're saying that that is not even a part of our culture naturally. That's, listen, that's not a part, that is not a part of, we've been led to believe that that is just the natural order of yeah. things, and it's not. It's okay. not. What is the natural order of things? Yeah, that's a good question. So that's too philosophical for me. <laughs> <laughs> I believe that we're supposed to work together. Well, I believe that too. Yeah, you're right. You yeah. can simplify it. That was a good way of simplifying yeah. it. Because, yeah, because, because, again, 
we have the same oppressor. Mm -hmm. See, women, regardless of what color you are, you can't talk about sexism because it upsets white men. Mm. Right? Mm -hmm. It upsets white men. Mm -hmm. You know, you, so you can't talk. You can't talk about sexism. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You know, quit talking about sexism. Everybody has the same opportunities, right? So stop talking about sexism. Um, and and so you can't talk about racism because it upsets white men. So every as every ism that there is. You can't talk about them because it upsets white men. I heard this statement that says, if you want to know who rules over you, ask yourself who you're not allowed to talk about. Boom. Yeah. Yeah. We, the, the, the rag, not the rag, the, the, the Declaration of Independence, you know, we hold these truths to be self-evident, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Right? The part about inalienable rights. What we fail to realize is that nobody mm -hmm. has had inalienable rights except rich white men. Hmm. Nobody. And rich white men have periodically given the rest of us permission to do things at various times. Hmm. But, but the, the idea of an inalienable right means that it can't be taken. Mm -hmm. So if if the rights were inalienable, how come you get to say when we get the right to vote? Wow. Rich white guys? Yeah. How come you get to say whether women have autonomy over their bodies? Ooh. How come you get to say that, rich white guys? And listen. Ooh. Surprise. And we, <laughs> we've not moved from where we were in 1787. In 1787, we had a room full of rich white men who were deciding who would have the right to vote. Mm -hmm. And they decided it would only be them. So the first president, George Washington, 2.2 million people in mm -hmm. the colonies, 6% mm -hmm. of them got to vote. So. The first president was actually voted into office with 6% of the population. So that means 94% of the people who were there were disenfranchised. Yeah. So, um, so if, you look at the, if you look at the Senate today, we still have a room full of rich white guys um, telling everybody what they have permission to do. Because mm -hmm. permission is different than a right. If we have a right, then you can't take it away. Here's a very controversial one. Let's talk about reparations for slavery and all of that stuff. What's your what's your take? The the root word the root word is repair. The root word is to to repair. Is that what reparations mean? Right. Yeah. The the root word to that is to repair, to make to make right. Mm -hmm. And so what I try to spend my energy talking to us about mm -hmm. is playing our role in our own liberation, in our own reparation. Because mm -hmm. what role do we have in it? Because while, while our ancestors were taken hostage and forced to work on forced labor camps, and so now you owe us something for that, for that. But what role do we play in reclaiming our cultural distinctiveness? Mm -hmm. The, the idea of putting the rest of the stuff in that hyphen. Because if we're, um, when the Chinese people look at themselves and they're Chinese, hyphen, American, within the hyphen is thousands of years of culture and history. For us, reparations begin, our part in it begins when we take responsibility for repairing ourselves 
And I'm not saying I'm not saying that they don't owe us because I am saying that they owe us, mm-hmm. right? But 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 at this point, it's what can you do? What can we do now um, in relation to reparations? And one of those things is we can begin to reclaim what it means to be Africans. Mm, that's deep. We're gonna have to invite you back again. But until then, it's time for <gasps> random questions. <laughs> you might want to drink some water, sir. Okay. <clears throat> All right. These are very rapid, quick fire questions. You got to spit it out, okay? Told you how old I am. Yeah, we already know that. But this is very, this is different. I'll do my best. All right. Why do you think people would vote for Trump? I think black people. Why do you think black people vote for Trump? I think black people vote for Trump because they are they are not as uh, well informed as they should be. Mm. Okay. Why don't we have any real black leaders right now? I think we do. I think they exist, but I don't think that I don't think that they have the platform that they deserve because we're looking for somebody else to prop them up for us and tell us who our leaders are. But we've always had people with leadership qualities in our communities and they are dying, not dying, but they are hungry mm-hmm. for the opportunity to be the leaders that they wanna be, but they're not, they're not, they don't know how to get the platform. They don't, know how to, they don't know how to prop themselves up. They don't know how to promote themselves, but those leaders exist, mm. always have. We are now African-Americans. Is there another title that we're gonna head to? Is it American? What do you think? Oh, I hope not. I hope, I hope, it's, I hope it's not simply American, because to me, simply American almost is, is almost as bad as simply black. Um, it be, because to be simply American, again, with, with, when the nations of the world have Every nation of the world has thousands of years of culture and history. We've only got a few hundred years of culture and history. And it's not, so I don't see any value in, in everybody in America disavowing the thousands of years of culture and history that we bring to this country that's supposed to be a, 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 a welcoming place for all cultures. Why do you have to why do you have to lose your culture when you get here and become simply American? I don't think that's a good thing for anybody. I don't even think that's a good thing for white people. Hmm. I think it's bad for white people. White people don't know who they are. Can black people be racist? I don't think so. Why? I because there's a difference between racism and prejudice. Black people can be prejudiced cuz everybody can be prejudiced, but racism actually requires power. It requires the ability to control, because racism is about control. Mm-hmm. It's about control and access. It's just like sexism. Every ism is about control and access, or controlling access. And, and since black people don't have control over any systems, there are a few institutions that black people may have some control over, but black people don't have control over any of the systems that govern our lives. Mm-hmm. So racism requires power, uh, and, it, and it requires systemic power. So because of that, black people, I don't think any people of color actually can be racist because of the way racism works. It requires that you have power or control over systems. People of color don't have that in the United States. Why do we recognize only one part of ourselves when we know that we are mixed with white? Yeah, I, 
it's the one drop rule. Mm -hmm. You know, we've, we've, had, we've had 46 consecutive male presidents, even though the Constitution doesn't say the president has to be male or white. Mm -hmm. We've had 45 and a half of them have been white men, mm -hmm. right? So Barack Obama, was, he had one white parent and one African parent, yet we call him the first African-American president. Mm -hmm. But he was actually the first openly biracial president, mm -hmm. right? So, be, so because of skin color as our way of, of identifying anybody who has enough melanin in mm -hmm. them to be called black, we're going to call them black. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and it makes it so society gets to, gets to tell us who we are rather than us being able to self-identify because Barack Obama's not African-American, he's biracial. Mm. Um, and uh, I'm not even sure whether I answered your question. You did. Food. Okay. And this is my last question before my last question. <laughs> How much African, um, are the African culture is in soul food? Wow, Boy, that's a good one. There was a, there was a show there was a show on Netflix, and I can't remember the name of the show, but this brother was going around, in Af traveling around through Africa, uh, eating different uh, various, uh, various countries and eating African food and talking about how much it mirrored mm -hmm. the food that we eat here, eat here in the United States. So I think, I think there's a lot of it. Mm. Um, I think uh, when I was, because I've traveled to Africa, I, I actually did work in Africa for a little while. Mm -hmm. Um, and what I what I realized was, they like uh, most in most African cultures they like they like a little bit of salt, like a little bit of fat, they like a little bit of grease, mm -hmm. uh, just like we do mm -hmm. in, in 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 our diet. Um, so yeah, got it. Last question, and I asked everybody this: <clears throat> When you pass on, and if you believe in God, what do you hope God says to you? I hope God says that you heard me and I'm glad you found a way to be faithful to what I asked you to do. Do you think you are? I'm doing my best. Yeah, I actually am doing my best to be faithful to what I believe, uh, to what I believe my calling is. That's one of the reasons why I'm here today. That's one of the reasons why I'm at the apex. That's one of the reasons why I'm so passionate about, uh, about us as African descendants. and because I think God is concerned about the liberation of all people. Mm. Um, I mean, the liberation of all people, and that means us. Yeah. Tell our viewers, camera, where they can find you. You can find me on the Roots of Justice website, actually, rootsofjusticetraining.org. You can find me on the Wider Stand website. Also, I do work with that organization. And you can also find me at the Apex Museum, the African-American Panoramic Experience in Atlanta, Georgia, um, where I actually, do, I actually do walking tours. Oh, that is awesome. Thank you, Talani. We appreciate it. And I definitely will have to invite you back. I think you're going to be our expert historian. Look, thank you so much for letting me come here and ramble. I love it. All right, guys. Well, that'll wrap it up for us. Make sure you guys subscribe, like, comment, and share. Uh, we've had such a historic learning day. But uh, if you want to get in contact with us directly, you can reach out to us at info at smittyand.com. Again, that's info at smittyand.com. And again, thank you to Talani from Apex Museum. Uh, this has been a really terrific day. 
I appreciate it. Thank you so much. I've enjoyed this so much. Thank you. All right, guys. Well, until next time, take care of one another. Thank you.